This is the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z, telling it like it is. Welcome back to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. It is Monday. It is the 17th day of May 2021. And I want to talk to you a little bit about infighting among Democrats. Nothing is more pleasing to the ear than for me to hear that Democrats are battling one another. Because if they're battling one another, they're likely leaving conservatives alone. Sleepy, creepy, touchy-feely, mopey-dopey, little girl gropey President Joe Biden faces growing pressure from liberals over how to handle the violent conflict going on in Israel right now, with the extreme left wing of his own party openly attacking his administration as he, gropey Joe, attempts to navigate one of his first foreign policy challenges since taking the election. It must be so inconvenient to actually have to do something as president, isn't it, Gropey Joe? Interrupting your nap time, your milk and cookies time, the time that you usually spend dreaming or daydreaming about groping little nine-year-old girls. It must be frustrating to be interrupted with something like a job. With all the time Gropey Joe has to spend pretending to be in charge, it's a wonder he hasn't completely lost it and wandered off the reservation like the silver alert president he is desperately seeking some Girl Scout or Brownie sleepaway camp in which to grope some nine-year-old little girls to ease his dementia, his Alzheimer's, and allow him to feel like he is still the scrappy guy from Scranton. But there are a few older girls who are not happy with you, Gropey Joe, and it isn't because you refuse to rub their chests. Biden has taken several opportunities this week to read prepared cue cards affirming the U.S. commitment to its ally, Israel, against unwanted attacks from Hamas, the Islamist militant group, as violence continues to escalate out of control in the region. Remember, Donald Trump had brokered peace deals in the Middle East, but you screwed that up just like you screwed up every other aspect of your failed presidency. This, of course, is not sitting well with his pro-Arab fellow radical Democrats, especially those women in the so-called squad. In true Biden flippy-floppy fashion, he teeters back and forth trying desperately to appease his fellow Democrats, his puppet masters, and those in the mainstream slimeball liberal media, failing miserably on all sides. On Thursday, he said he had, quote, not seen a significant overreaction, unquote, from Israeli forces in responding to rocket attacks launched by Hamas. And he stated the U.S. goal was to see a significant reduction in the attacks. Just a day earlier, though, Biden said he expected to clash to end in the days ahead. He said on Wednesday, My expectation hope is all will be closed down sooner or later. But Israel has the right to defend itself and you have thousands of rockets flying in your territory. Liberal Democrats have taken issue with Biden's public posturing of support for the Israelis, however. Those anti-Semites in the radical majority of the Democrat Party, they hates them some Jews, they do, for sure. They hates them Jews. Representative Alexandria Ocasio, Horseface Cortez, a New York Democrat, accused Gropy Joe Biden of making a blanket statement with his remarks on Wednesday and said that none of them claim that Israel was right to defend itself. It's wrong, Horseface. Israel has the right to defend itself. Rashida Tlaib, the Michigan Democrat Muslim, accused Biden and Secretary of State A. Blinken, 
that's Anthony Blinken, but it's initial A, Blinken, of having trouble finding the courage to speak up against Israel's actions. You too, Rashida Tlaib, would be incorrect. Israel certainly has the right to defend itself against violent attacks by those morons of Hamas. Plain and simple. Another Democrat Muslim extremist, Representative Ilhan Omar, demanded Biden intervene to stop Israeli airstrikes in the Gaza Strip, from which Hamas has fired hundreds, if not thousands, of rockets into Israel. Hey, Ilhan Omar. <laughs> Omar said on Wednesday, this is happening on our dime. President Biden needs to step in and de-escalate to stop the carnage. She only said that, of course, when it comes to the Hamas folks getting what's coming to them. Right, Ilhan? Don't worry about those people on the Jewish side being murdered and slaughtered by rockets from your side. <laughs> Democrat critics of the Biden administration's approach have helped put pressure on Biden and A. Blinken to speak out about the events that preceded the violence that has already claimed dozens of lives. Unrest began over the potential removal of Palestinian families from the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood near Jerusalem in Israel, the chosen land of God. A lengthy dispute over who owns the land under the homes there created conditions in which tensions were running high. Some Palestinians have lived in those homes since the late 1950s, but they fear that an Israeli court might rule that the land does not belong to them, and it would be a correct ruling. Check your Bibles. Tensions boiled over earlier this week when violence broke out at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, a Muslim holy site where Israeli police fired tear gas at people said were rioting. Hamas has since fired hundreds of rockets into Israel, and Israeli forces have responded by launching airstrikes at Gaza. In other words, you gas me, I rocket attack you? How unfair and bully-like that is, Hamas. You pew-pew me, I pew-pew you. That's the way it's supposed to work. You rocket me, I rocket you. Tit for tat? How about dat? 25 House Democrats signed a letter to Abe Blinken this week, urging him to condemn the potential evictions in Jara. Democrats demanded the Biden administration pressure Israel into stopping the removals altogether something Gropey Joe seems so far highly unlikely to do. So I'll give him some credit for that. Israel is one of our staunchest allies. In a readout of Biden's call on Wednesday with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, the White House said Biden conveyed his unwavering support for Israel's security and for Israel's legitimate right to defend itself and its people. But wacky liberal lawmakers took issue with what the readout did not say. Any mention of the evictions the Israeli police activity at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, or the growing number of Palestinians who have died in the airstrikes. So what? What about the number of Israeli deaths? Or is this like BLM all over again? Hey squad, Jewish lives matter. Jew lives matter. In responding to Biden's talks with Netanyahu, Ilhan Omar accused the White House of siding with an oppressive occupation. She would, as usual, be incorrect. And I love the infighting on the Democrat side, as a handful of House Democrats planned competing speeches on the floor for last Thursday night, as different wings of the party clash over how the U.S. should respond. And this Israel issue is not the first rift that has opened up between Biden and the extreme radical left flank of the Democrat Party. 
Democrats slammed Biden's decision last month not to raise annual limits on the number of refugees that the U.S. would accept, prompting the White House to backtrack and lift the caps under pressure from the radical wing of the party. Some liberals have criticized Gropey Joe's infrastructure proposal for not going far enough to expand government, despite more than a $2 trillion price tags. Also, some liberals are putting pressure on the Biden administration to take up their causes on weakening the filibuster, packing the Supreme Court, passing massively oppressive gun control legislation, all things that Biden has thus far only paid lip service to, but not prioritized or come out in support of at all. Way to go, gropey Joe. Keep dividing that Democrat party. The midterms are coming quickly. Steve Zink and the Truth Coach Program. It is not very often that the media reports when the left or the AA 13% hyphenated American minority does something wrong. But three women have been arrested in connection with a pig's head incident targeting an ex-cop who testified as a use-of-force expert for the defense during the trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin in the death-related now conviction of murder of the criminal George Floyd. Santa Rosa, California Police Department arrested Rowan Dalby, age 20, Kristen Almoyth, age 34, and Amber Lucas, 25, on Tuesday. They were charged with conspiracy and two felony counts of vandalism. The department said it's still investigating and following up on leads. It believes there may have been additional suspects, and it is asking the public to help identify them. The department said last month officers responded to a call at 3 a.m. after an unnamed victim said a group of individuals threw a bloody pig's head on their front porch and splattered blood on their front of their home. The suspect's target appeared to be Barry Broad, a former Santa Rosa police officer who was called to the stand by the defense. The department said it appeared the women were targeting Broad over his testimony. But guess what? These idiot women threw the pig's head on the wrong porch. For Mr. Broad has not lived at that residence for several years and is not even a California resident anymore. 45 minutes later, a large hand statue in front of Santa Rosa Plaza Mall was vandalized with a substance thought to be animal blood. Suspects left a sign in front of the statue that had a picture of a pig and it read, Oink, oink. This all stems from the fact that during the trial of Derek Chauvin, Broad was called as a defense witness and said that Chauvin, in his opinion, was justified in his actions and that those actions did not amount to deadly force. He actually said, I felt Derek Chauvin was justified, was acting with objective reasonableness, following Minneapolis Police Department policy and current standards of law enforcement in his interactions with Mr. Floyd. Santa Rosa Police Chief Rainier Navarro said in a statement at that time, Mr. Broad's comments do not reflect the values and beliefs of the Santa Rosa Police Department. Well, he would be a pussy. And the ancient Chinese moral of the story is, no put pig head on wrong house. Make you look stupid. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Well, the House Democrats always trying to capitalize on a crisis, whether it's a real or a made-up crisis, have unveiled long-awaited details on their response to the January 6th Capitol incident, which they're still calling insurrection, they're still calling a riot, they're still calling sedition. They, of course, would be wrong. They're talking about including billions of dollars of your tax dollars to address security flaws exposed by the siege and a bipartisan-style, September 11th-style commission 
will be put into place to investigate the root cause of the attack. House Appropriations Chair Rosa DeLauro, a Democrat of Connecticut, released a $1.9 billion emergency funding bill that will provide tens of millions of dollars to the cowardly Capitol Cop Department. It will also foot the bill for deploying National Guard soldiers at the complex and authorize funding for any, quote, future security needs, unquote, such as a retractable fence system. She said in a statement, The needs are urgent, so it is imperative we swiftly pass this legislation to protect the Capitol and those who work and visit here. The bill would set aside $200 million for a quick reaction force to assist the cowardly Capitol cops, which will receive body cameras for the first time. The bill also includes millions of tax dollars for mental health assistance and overtime for the Capitol Police Force, long understaffed and still reeling from the deaths of several officers in the ma- aftermath of the insurrection. Let me stop for a moment. No Capitol Police officers died as a result of the actions on January 6th. The media and the Democrats made up lie after lie after lie, story after story after fairy tale that Officer Brian Sicknick first was killed by blunt force trauma when pro-Trump rioters smashed his skull with a fire extinguisher. The autopsy proved there was no blunt force trauma and there was no fire extinguisher attack upon Officer Sicknick. Officer Sicknick died of a stroke, but that wasn't good enough. No, the Democrats, always seeking to take more and more hard-working Americans' money in the form of taxes to give to their own wacky programs and agenda, then made up some story about a mysterious, undetectable poison that killed Officer Sicknick. That, too, was proven to be a lie. The man died of a stroke. The cop, the donut-eating, fried-chicken-eating cop, died of a stroke related to his own poor health. The only person who died directly as a result of the Capitol incident on January 6th was Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed white female U.S. Air Force veteran who was murdered, gunned down in cold blood by a still unnamed 13% double A hyphenated Blafrican American coward Capitol Police Lieutenant. Lawmakers are also moving ahead with a bipartisan commission to investigate events that might have led to the attack. The plan has the backing of the GOP top negotiator on the issue, though House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy who is still arguing that the panel's scope should expand beyond the January 6th attack, has not signed on as of yet. If you're going to inspect and investigate and look into the January 6th incident at the Capitol, you must use the same diligence to investigate the Portland, the Seattle, the St. Louis, the Louisville, the Chicago, the Minneapolis, the Oakland, and every other illegal riot that you lied and called peaceful protesting. You pew-pew me, I pew-pew you. You rocket me, I rocket you. What's good for the goose should always be good for the gander. Two major developments cap an intense week in the House that ripped open the unhealed wounds from the so-called Capitol siege, where Capitol police officers were seen escorting, ushering, and directing people into the Capitol on that fateful day where only one person died, a person who was murdered at the hands of a cowardly Capitol Police officer. 
Certain Republicans have downplayed the incident in public comments as lawmakers engage in bitter confrontations. Some Democrats are eyeing the commission and debate over the security bill as a test of whether House members have any chance of moving forward together after the attack or if the partisan split will only worsen. Speaker Nazi Pelosi said in a statement, It is imperative that we seek the truth of what happened on January 6th with an independent bipartisan 9-11 type commission to examine and report upon the facts, causes, and security relating to the terrorist mob attack. The bill to establish the January 6th commission could come to the floor as soon as next week, Pelosi announced on Friday, noting that the panel is modeled after a bipartisan study of the events leading up to a real terrorist attack on September 11, 2001. A floor vote will likely be followed by an emergency funding bill as Democrats hope to pass both before they leave for our wonderful vacation, the Memorial Day recess. Democrats are powering ahead with their response to the Capitol attack after months of gridlock and partisan sniping that had stalled progress on security funding and on that commission. And while McCarthy said Friday he hadn't formally signed off on the commission agreement, a deal between House Homeland Security Committee Chair Benny Thompson of Mississippi and ranking member John Katko of New York does include some key concessions to what Republicans actually want. Changes sought by the Republicans, the proposed 10-person commission includes an even split between members chosen by Republicans and those chosen by Democrats. It also ensures members of the commission can only issue subpoenas in a bipartisan fashion. The commission is only able to issue subpoenas through a majority vote or by an agreement between the chair and vice chair. Democrats choose the chair. McCarthy and the Republicans want the commission to investigate left-wing violence as well, but its focus right now is limited to the January 6th attack and the factors leading up to it. The GOP leader, McCarthy, told reporters on Friday morning that he hadn't seen the details of the agreement and therefore he hasn't signed off on it, reiterating he does not want the commission to only focus on January 6th. McCarthy said, I know Nancy Pelosi played politics with this for a number of months. You've got to look at a buildup before and what's been going on after. Katko, a Republican who led negotiations for the Republicans, was one of several lawmakers who immediately pushed for this type of commission to learn how any mob would be able to storm the Capitol. That New York Republican was one of 10 House GOP lawmakers who voted to impeach Trump for his role in the attack. Of course, Trump was acquitted, which means Katko, well, he's a loser. A number of Democrats, such as Representative Mondad Jones, a Democrat from New York, has questioned whether Capitol Police should have more oversight requirements before they receive such a massive cash infusion. And since reality and realism have absolutely nothing to do with anything in the Democrat Party, the lie that all of these Congress people's lives were in danger <laughs> will continue to perpetuate and dominate any legislative action. They're coming for your tax dollars, folks, and they're seeking to build a bigger wall between we the people and they, our overbearing overlords. We'll be right back. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Do you like large pizzas? Real supreme pizzas? Only the whitest ingredients can make the world's whitest pizza. Introducing the White Super Supreme Pizza from Bubba John's Pizzeria. Made with pure white flour, pure white dough, pure white American cheese, and pure white Alfredo sauce. Topped with all of your favorite ingredients. This pie is sure to please. Order online and get a White Super Supreme Pizza for only 10 bucks when you use the promo code WHITEPIZZA. 
The whitest ingredients make the whitest pizza. Bigger pizza, you betcha. Bubba John's. And what edition of the Truth Hurts program would be complete without a little racism thrown in? According to the USA Today, there were six, and now there's zero. Restaurant industry grapples with lack of diversity in executive ranks. And before I go into this article, I want to say something. The person who runs my business needs to be well-versed in my business. They need to be of a certain level of expertise and leadership and have a working knowledge of my business before I just hand over the reins to them and put them in charge. Simply hiring someone to be your chief executive officer should never come down to the color of their skin, should never come down to their accent, should never come down to their ethnicity. In 2014, this article begins, an ad in the trade publication Nation's Restaurant News celebrated the six African-American CEOs of public restaurant companies, including McDonald's, Darden, and Jack in the Box. At that time, it was the most ever for the restaurant industry. If the number of top black executives was still that high seven years later, it would have been something for all of us to be proud of, says James D. White, former CEO of Jamba Juice, who was a part of that group of six. He says, but there were six, and now there's zero. The restaurant industry, where people of color make up half the cooks, cashiers, and other hourly frontline employees, 83% of executives and 85% of board members are white. But as the food service sector starts to recover from a year upended by the Wuhan, China novel coronavirus pandemic, executives and advocates say there's a new opening to make diverse leadership a priority. It's a great opportunity to create better industry that's more inclusive, that creates more job opportunities for people at every level, says Lily Jan, who teaches food and beverage management at Cornell School of Hotel Administration. Companies like McDonald's and the owner of KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut have announced specific steps to diversify their executive ranks. Other chains have started to discuss a push following the alleged murder of George Floyd last summer. You know, the criminal that died of a heart attack and a drug overdose while he was resisting arrest. That prompted national protests and a broader conversation about so-called systemic racism. Business leaders say more companies need to take concrete action. Stephen Davis was once the chairman and CEO of Bob Evans Farms from 2006 through 2014. He is a AA 13% hyphenated American minority. He said, This is not a one-year exercise. They need a five-year plan because they have to build a pipeline to train and recruit. They're going to have to roll up their sleeves and do the work. Wait a minute. You want us to just automatically create positions of diversity in restaurant executive leadership and then train those people to do that job? Why not just put someone in the job that's already trained, that already has a working handle and is working a successful business enterprise? Half the hourly workers in restaurants, according to this article, are people of color. According to a 2014 report co-sponsored by the Multicultural Food Service and Hospitality Alliance, MFHA, a nonprofit affiliate of the National Restaurant Association. Yet only 31% of general managers in charge of a restaurant are non-white, and at the highest levels, just 10% of board members and 8% of CEOs are people of color. 
Meanwhile, 52% of hourly restaurant workers are women, while they only make up 29% of restaurant general manager jobs, says the MFHA. And among corporate directors, 31% are female, while women are only 23% of executives and hold only 17% on company boards of directors. Rising in management can have a real impact of how much an employee earns and how much wealth they may be able to build. Duh! Fast food and counter workers make an annual mean wage of $24,540, while food service managers for restaurants earn a mean wage of 57820 Top executives in accommodation and food services have a mean yearly salary of $85,830, according to May of 2020 data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Food service is hardly the only industry to lack diversity in its executive ranks, according to this article. Barriers to advancement exist throughout corporate America, with people of color and women often held to higher standards for promotion than their white and male peers. While being largely outside the networking circles, decision makers typically tap for talent, experts and business leaders say. Across industries nationwide, only 3% of C-suite leaders were women of color in 2020, as compared to 19% who were white women, according to a study conducted by McKinsey & Company in partnership with LeanIn.org. I don't want to speak ill of McKinsey & Company, but they've been behind some really sketchy things in the past 10 years. Men of color compromise 12% of those in the C-suite as compared to 66% of leaders who were white men. The lack of diversity among restaurant executives is striking given the disproportionate representation of people in color in lower level positions and the multicultural customer base the industry serves, according to corporate leaders. If there is ever an industry where there should be more diversity in the boardroom and C-suite, it's restaurants, according to one expert. In recent years, restaurant companies have also been the frequent target of activist investors who push for cost cuts and other changes in order to boost company stock prices. Their campaigns can result in the ouster or exit of company CEOs, and when those top executives are African American or female, they've typically been replaced by a white man, according to research. Since 2011, campaigns by activist investors led to the exit of 28 CEOs who were at the helm of public restaurant companies. Of those departed corporate leaders, 11 were women or people of color. White men were selected to fill 27 of those 28 vacancies. Some energy analysts say it's just a closed system, and it's who I know and who I'm comfortable with. So whether conscious or unconscious, the ultimate result is a less diversive leadership role in the management space of the restaurant industry. Having a diverse group of executives could bolster the bottom line, according to some industry experts. They claim when people of color and women lead, profits grow. According to a global report by the highly questionable McKinsey & Company, in 2019, businesses that ranked in the top quartile for ethnic diversity among their executives were 36% more likely to have higher-than-average profits than businesses that were the least inclusive. Companies like McKinsey have to tailor their studies and surveys to please those who are paying them for conducting those surveys. The report said the most diverse companies are now more likely than ever to outperform less diverse peers on profitability. But while some companies have been very focused on inclusion, most have made little or no progress, and some have even gone backwards. They noted it would be a mistake for businesses to use the pandemic as an excuse to put off diversity efforts. 
Companies whose leaders welcome diverse talents and include multiple perspectives are likely to emerge from the crisis stronger, they claim. And of course, what racially motivated article would be complete without this statement? Additionally, as the economy reopens and the restaurant industry struggles to hire workers, a clear commitment to improving diversity could help companies hold on to employees. Businesses that had a corporate strategy to foster more inclusion had a turnover rate amongst hourly workers that was 17% lower than businesses that did not. That translates into saving $700 it costs on average to replace one hourly worker and the $11,000 typically spent to hire a new manager. Money is a short-term motivator, they say. If people can see a path for their own career growth within an organization, they're more likely to stay. But people of color are often only found in the lower tiers of management. This article blathers and bloviates on and on and on about large corporations seeking to make a path directly to the top for Blafrican American 13% double A hyphenated minorities and Latinos and women. Which means pretty much that if you are a highly qualified, highly experienced white male, you're going to be shown the door pretty soon. They don't care about you because white lives do not matter in the grand scheme of things. Steve Zinke and the Truth Hurts Program. And that will wrap up this edition of the Truth Hurts Program. Unfortunately, with everything being tagged as racist, white people will become the outcast minority especially white males. Go out there and make it a great day while you still can, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. The opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Copyright 2021, The Truth Hurts Network.